You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Our scripture text is from John chapter 13. Starting with verse 18, it will be found on page 900 of your pew Bible. Let us pray that God will open our hearts. Omnipotent Holy God, I pray that our, Your Word will penetrate our hearts today in such a way that our hands will be clean and our hearts will be purified. God, that the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth will be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. I pray that you would make us holy as you were holy. We submit this in your hands. In God's name we pray. Amen. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What, are you, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. The word of God for the people of God. I'm going to finish out the chapter. Uh, some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, and I'm with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
Well, if you were looking to join a fellowship, if you were looking to be part of a church, what would be the things that you would be looking for? I mean, what would be the signs of this is, this is a good place, this is where you know, God is, is lifted up and, and Jesus is truly there because it is Jesus himself that makes the church. I know my, my temptation, the first thing I look at is, let me see your statement of beliefs. Let me see the truths that you teach, and I would, I would review those and take them to Scripture and see, is this truly teaching what the Bible teaches? And that's a good thing. It's very appropriate that we know that the truth is being taught. Um, a group cannot say it follows Jesus and then teach something um, against Jesus or say it's Christian and, and not uphold uh, fundamental Christian beliefs. We, we, we know there's uh, room for disagreement on lesser issues, but we want to know is the gospel being proclaimed in all its truth. Um, and I know that's important to you. I know many of you that's, that's crucial uh, for some of us, it might be, is, is worship truly worship? Um, you know, do, do you have a sense that we're really worshiping? And, you know, I, I, have to, I have to admit, I have some family that aren't Presbyterian, and they, they, they join me at times, and they, they, they don't think we're quite spiritual enough. Um, but, but true worship is, well, um, you know, Y'all probably know the term frozen chosen. I don't think y'all live up to it, but, but you know, there, there are stereotypes. But we do have this idea of worship is appropriate because, you know, we're not only what we teach, but also how we worship. And so we would say, are the sacraments done? Are the sacraments being done correctly? Um, is worship truly God-centered and God-focused? And that would be an appropriate thing. We want to know, is, is there true worship? Because the church is called to worship God. And um, a group that calls itself a church but doesn't worship truly um, is not worthy of that name, doesn't adhere. The, the other thing some people might say is, you know, are the people um, following Christ in, in their morality, in, in the things that we do? Now, we all know that we sin and we fail. We don't live up to God's standard. That's why we have a confession of sin every Sunday. But, but the question is, do we expect people to do what Jesus taught? Jesus taught us certain moral ways to live, and so do we live up to that? Um, do, does a church willingly kind of say, this is who we're going to be? And, and it, you, you've probably seen people say something to the effect of, of um, you know, those people don't live out during the week what they say they believe on a Sunday. They're not a real church. It's not really Christian. And, and you can understand that because to follow Christ means we follow Christ in all of our life. Not only in what we profess we believe, but also how we live. And so uh, a truly disciplined life is a mark of the church. All of these are important. All of them are true. We, we want to teach the truth. We want to worship correctly. We want to uh, live as Christ calls us to live. And Jesus gives us another sign, another mark to distinguish are these truly disciples? Are these truly following Jesus? So if you were judging a church, if you were looking at um, you know, a, a fellowship of believers, would it occur to you to say, do they love one another? Do they show Christ's love to each other? Do they have a, a loving fellowship that they hold? Because in addition to everything else we might judge a church by, Jesus himself said, a new commandment I give you, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know you are my disciples. So in addition to teaching what he's called us to do and having the sacraments and discipline is the idea that we love one another as Christ has loved us. Jesus said, it's a new commandment I give you. Now, he's not saying like the idea of loving each other is a brand new idea that never occurred in the Bible before Jesus. It's all through the scriptures. So the idea is not that like this is this brand new idea. It's the idea that this is the law of this new covenant that Jesus has formed in this last supper as he's you know, going to the cross to shed his blood to form a new covenant. He's saying this is this law, part of this new covenant. Indeed, the Old Testament, Jesus summed up, the whole law was to love God and to love our neighbor. That is the law. That is quoting from the law. And so loving one another has always been part of the law. But put, Jesus puts it in a new perspective. As he lays down his life, he reminds us that we are now called to love. And especially to love one another in the way Jesus loved us. We love our neighbors ourselves, but we love other believers, others who are in Christ, the same way Jesus loved us. Now, I, I feel like any time I talk about love, I need to clarify what the Bible means by love. Because our culture has changed the understanding of what love is to the point that we need to make sure we're using the words the same way the Bible uses the words. So let me clarify a few things. Our culture tends to think of love primarily in very sentimental terms. Most people talk about love as only their feeling, only their affections. And that is part of it. We, we should have good feelings to one another. We should have this. But Christian love is not simply sentiment. Christian love isn't just how I feel in the moment. That comes and goes. Um, you know, that, that, that can be stronger at times. And, and when, when love is needed the most, it can maybe be felt the least. And so Christian love is truly that affection towards one another, but it's that affection that's shown in commitment and in service. Uh, this chapter begins with it saying Jesus loved his disciples and he loved them to the end. And he gives them an example of that love by washing their feet. And all of that is a sign of the extent that he loves them, of loving them to the point of laying down his life to going to the cross. Jesus says, greater love has no man, that he lay down his life for his friends. Love must be displayed in acts, in deeds, in service. It, it has infection, affection, but it can't just stop with affection and feeling. The other thing, in, in the past few years, we've kind of gotten to the point where uh, we define love as never telling anyone they, you disagree with them. We, we've kind of gotten to the point where we defined hate as disagreeing with somebody, of saying, you know, if you don't 100% agree and support every decision I make, no matter how harmful it might be or how much you disagree, that you're being hateful. And it just, it doesn't take much thought to realize this is not a good definition. True love 
isn't just saying, hey, whatever you want to do is okay. True love is seeking what is best for the other. And if you think about your own loved ones and decisions that make, they might make that are harmful, true love is actually willing to say, this is not a good thing. And I don't say it because I'm unloving and I'm hateful, but I'm saying it because it's, I'm loving. You know, if, if, if you know, your child is making a bad decision that's going to hurt them, true love doesn't say, you know, I affirm your um, right to touch the stovetop. Or I, I think um, taking that, um, you know, eating that poison, you know, if you want to do that, I, I love you. True love is saying, don't do that, it hurts. And so the way we love one another is to say, if you're doing something um, that is harmful with your relationship with Christ or, or kind of reveals issues with um, your relationship with Christ, true love says, that's not good. I love you and I accept you and I welcome you and I affirm you, but we have to realize that love sometimes confronts. The other thing is true love is costly. It's very easy for me to think I'm, I'm, you know, that love is about how I feel. And so if somebody makes me feel good, and if somebody is um, supportive of me, that kind of love is easy. Difficult love is when it means I have to give up something of myself, where I need to um, forgive and give up my need for being kind of justified in something. It has to cost me where I forgive somebody. True love means I might have to give up of my energy or my time or my resources to, to provide for someone else. And that is true love. That's the love Jesus showed us, that he was loving enough to give up himself, even to the point of death, to serve. And so a lot of times we define love as mostly how somebody else makes me feel. So, um, um, you know, younger folks, as you're judging and you're thinking, am I in love with somebody? Is it that you love them or is that you love the, you love the way they make you feel? You, you love that they accept you, that you love that they find you attractive. Is that, because that's really using somebody else to love yourself. You're not costing yourself anything to give to them. So with all this in mind, true love being a feeling but more than a feeling and being something that's seeking the best for somebody else and that is costly, Jesus says, love in this way one another. Love the way I loved you. That's the way Jesus loved us. He confronted us. He gave of his life for us. He, he did more than a feel affection for us. He serves us. And so that same way, now we love with one another. And in doing so, we're called to do nothing less than reflect the very nature of God. You know, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, that idea that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is just one of those mind-blowing things that I think a lot of Christians go, okay, I need to believe this, I kind of see it in Scripture, but I don't know what it means, and I can't understand it. Um, and I don't want to say too much about it. And I, that, that's kind of there, but there, there's something really practical about the Holy Trinity. Because the Bible says that God is love. And I want you to see how the Holy Trinity means that's something beyond saying God is loving. You see, if God is 
loving, that means when there's somebody else, he can love them. But to say God is love itself is something different. It means from the very, from even before creation, from all eternity, the very existence of God is already three natures or three persons within one nature that have a relationship with each other. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. They all have a connection of love, self-giving, self-other-focused love towards one another. And when, when the Bible says that this is before, you know, what existed in God before anything was created, it means, I mean, think about this, the very core of the whole universe is love. And not just a God who loves, but a God who himself is love in his relationship, in who he is, and in part of his essence. And so when you're called to love as Christ loves, you're called to reflect that nature of God with one another. And so you're called to be like God and show that love to others, to our neighbors, those who are outside the church, but especially to love as Christ loved within the church, and especially within this local body where we have stood before one another and made vows and promises and entered into a covenant with each other to say, uh, we're in this ministry together. We're in relationship together. If you love Christ, the natural flow, will you, you will be loving towards those Christ himself has loved. Um, and as we show that sort of love, as we show that self-sacrificial, other-focused, absolute love towards one another, Jesus says, this will show others that you are my disciples. This is in the context of them saying, am I going to be the one to deny you? Am I going to turn from you? Am I going to be the one who betrays you? He said, here's the evidence of your discipleship is your love for one another. Um, the early church taught what Jesus taught. It... it, it, it followed in the, the way Jesus taught us to live. But one of the most powerful ways it brought others in to know Christ was the way it loved others. The way they loved each other and they supported each other regardless of class, regardless of nationality, regardless of anything, they showed love towards one another. They showed forgiveness towards one another. And they welcomed and formed this community that was something radical from the rest of the world. Uh, I want to suggest that this might be one of the most powerful callings of the church at this moment in, in our society. Because I, I look around and one of the things that just strikes me with all the outrage we constantly hear is kind of this sense that nobody is allowed to be forgiven. You know, it's just constant that somebody comes up and when you look back decades to see um, how they might have transgressed the current ethics um, decades ago, and that's just displayed. And, and there's this idea that if anybody ever said anything that everybody else was saying back there, they're to be destroyed. They're to be canceled. They're, they're to be deplatformed. They're to be ignored. And, and there is absolute no forgiveness and what a powerful witness if believers and Christians kind of show to other people, we don't have to agree with one another to love one another. And we all have failed, and we can show grace and forgiveness. And when we have a community where we welcome anyone, 
And we forgive everyone because we have been forgiven and we live out of knowing that we have been forgiven and that we have failed and we have grace. And we show that love that has been shown to us that says you don't have to be acceptable before you're accepted. What a powerful witness in a world that shows no grace to anyone. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have loved us when when we were unlovable. We pray that we might know that love and that we might show that love to one another. Lord, support us in our walk with each other that we might love as you have loved us and that those around us might see your love and see the source of that love in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.